This is episode number 700 with Charity Water founder, Scott Harrison. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Edmund Mbiaka said, no matter how disappointing you believe your life currently is, it's never too late to start reshaping it to become an amazing testimony. Welcome everyone to episode 700. Holy shnikes. I'm so pumped about this. I've been reflecting about this for the last couple of weeks as 700 has been coming up. And I've just been kind of overwhelmed with so much gratitude because there's been a lot happening in my life over the last two months. We launched a talk show. We went through some challenges in our business. But then things really started to take off after this talk show came out on Facebook called Inspiring Life. We had a massive interview with Kobe Bryant that it went viral all over the place. ESPN picked it up and about 35 other major platforms picked it up. We had Rachel Hollis on last week, which has been taking over. If you haven't listened to that episode, make sure to listen to it. We had Dr. Joe Dispenza, which has been going viral as well. We had Marissa Peer about how your thoughts will either heal you or kill you. We had some incredible episodes that came out over the last few weeks, which has skyrocketed this podcast literally in the last month. It has gone up so much, the traffic, the subscribers. So if you're here now and you're new, then I want to thank you for being here. We're currently number 25 in the world on all of podcasts, which is mind-blowing. And I'm just so grateful that we're all here together. This is one of the most powerful and empowering movements in the world where we bring together like-minded, conscious achievers to help you unlock your greatest potential. Find that truth that you've been looking for. Make an impact on the people around you and really live a purposeful life. And I'm so excited about our episode today. It's a perfect timing, actually, for episode 700 to reflect on the purpose for your life and are you making the maximum impact in your personal life and the people around you? Well, Scott Harrison, after a decade of indulging his darkest vices as a nightclub promoter, he declared spiritual, moral, and emotional bankruptcy. He spent two years on a hospital ship off the coast of Liberia, saw the effects of dirty water firsthand, and came back to New York City on a mission to change the world. Upon returning to New York in 2006, having seen the effects of dirty water firsthand, he turned his full attention to the global water crisis and the then 1.1 billion people living without access to clean water. And in this interview, we talk about how at 28, Scott was living life of drugs, clubs, and was broken inside and started to ask if it was the legacy he wanted to leave behind. Also, we talk about where most of the world's diseases come from. We discuss his mission of providing clean water to the world and how it can be accomplished, why it's okay to start working on something that has no 
end in sight and why it's important for a company to tell a great story. And if you're not telling a great story in your life, in your business, in your career, you're not going to make the lasting change you want. We talked about this with Kobe Bryant. His answer to living a great life was really being a great storyteller. So this is going to shape you in a way that you might not think possible. Take a moment to listen throughout this entire time. Listen to the stories that Scott tells. Let it resonate on your heart, on your soul, and see how it impacts you. And let me know what you think. Send me a message on Instagram story. Send me a direct message. Tag me on your story while you post this to your friends. Let your friends know you're listening. It's lewishouse.com slash 700. Tag myself and Scott Harrison. We'd love to hear from you throughout this interview. All right, my friends, I'm so excited about this one. Again, episode 700. Make sure to share with your friends, lewishouse.com slash 700. Let me know what you think over on your Instagram story. Tag me and Scott Harrison. And without further ado, let me introduce you to the one, the only Scott Harrison. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everyone, back to the School of Greatness podcast. We've got the legendary Scott Harrison in What's the up, house. brother? Good to see you, man. Good How to you see doing? You. Thanks for coming, come, having me back. Yeah, man, I'm pumped you're here. I invited myself back on. You did. It's all good. <laughs> you're always welcome, man. You've got a new book out called Thirst. Thanks, man. Make sure you guys check this out. Powerful story of redemption, compassion, and a mission to bring clean water to the world. And you've been running this organization, Charity Water, for 12 years. You've raised how much money now total? 320 million. 320 million raised. That's incredible. Yeah, we, we can't believe it sometimes. Over a quarter billion dollars just in donations. Yeah, yeah, from a million people. So it's really been led by small donations, a million people over 100 countries. Five, 10, 20 buck donations. So many of those, so many of those. What's the biggest donation that um, you're allowed to talk about? There's one family that's given over 15 million on the overhead side. For the business. Um, on, yeah, so remember we have, Charity Water has a unique business model where 12 years ago we made a promise to the public and we said 100% of public donations without exception will only fund water projects that give people clean water. And in bank account number two, we will raise the overhead separately. Somehow, we had no idea Somehow. how we do it at the beginning. That now looks like 130 families, entrepreneurs that support our 80 staff, our flights, our office, the you know the Epson copy machine and the toner right. so that over a million people can give in this pure way and know that whether they give a dollar or a hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, 
all that money is going straight to the project. So we have one family who over 11 years has given uh, over 15 million 15 bucks. 15 million, because it costs you, you said around 10 plus million a year just to run the overhead, the office, exactly. the operations. You've exactly. got 80 employees in New York, and then you've got 650 around the world. Yeah, that are working on the water projects. That are working yeah, on building our, the wells and, partners, and everything yeah. else, right? It's not easy. <laughs> Crazy, man. So is your time and energy more focused on reaching out to the public to get those micro donations? Or is it, I got to cultivate these hundred relationships to make sure we've got the lights on every day? It, it's a great question. It's both. Someone told me at once that a, a good CEO does three things. They set the vision for the company, hire amazing people, and then make sure the company doesn't run out of money. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so I'm, I'm really focused on that one because from a, from a business model approach, we can become insolvent with $100 million in the bank of the public's money, right? Mm-hmm. So all of the money, all these micro donations, all the birthday campaigns that are coming in, the spring, the subscription, which we can talk about later, um, we can't touch any of that to pay our office rent. Or to pay, so you could have a hundred, you could have a billion dollars in the bank and go, and bankrupt. go broke, bankrupt, because you and can't. Not, and everybody's it. checks would bounce. Wow, it's a terrifying proposition when you get to scale. So that's why I spend so much time really on those 130 families. We've been blessed. I mean, it's the founders of Twitter, Facebook, key execs at Apple, like you know Johnny Ive and Angela Ahrens. It's venture capitalists. It's, 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 you know, a bunch of your friends. I mean, you, sure, know, sure. you know, 40 people yeah, yeah. in that group, um, probably 20 of them have been on here and they love actually supporting the overhead. They love supporting our staff. They love their money going to a software engineer who's coding to save lives or for a water hydrologist who's making sure our projects are, are of the highest quality. They love that. So in a way it's hard, but it's not. You know, once you find those people, you know, we, we hosted an event last night and someone immediately said, I want to be family 132. No way. So it, it, it grows, what's but the, I spend a lot of time there. What's the minimum someone can so be people a part of give, family? Yeah, how the business works in that bank account, people give on three-year commitments between $60,000 a year up to a million a year. And that allows us to play, uh, to basically to plan cash flow. Um, and then our job is to give everybody such a good experience in those three years, develop that relationship that not only do they sign up for the following three years, they give more, but they give more if they can, yeah. if they have the ability. So we'll have some people who will start at the entry level, even though they might have a much higher capacity. And then we have other people who are really reaching to that lowest level. And they'll say, this is the biggest charitable gift I've ever given in my life, but I really want to support the overhead. I believe in this model. So it's a, it's a little bit of a dance. You know, you have to run sure. these things in perfect balance. And right now, the, the water side is growing faster than that side. So I'm spending more attention over here. Sure. But there have been times in the past where we got an infusion of cash on the, the overhead side. And they're like, okay, now we have to go figure out how to, how to leverage that and, and become even more efficient. Yeah. I guess you could always take a loan out if you had $100 million in the bank. You could kind of take a loan out on... You can't really take a loan against that, though, because you could yeah. never use that money to pay it back. I mean, that's... People don't sure. know this, Lewis, but we actually... You know, we talked about this 100% model. We actually pay back credit card fees, which sounded like a great idea 10 years ago, right? When, <laughs> now you're like 3% is a lot. Yeah. Dude, it's like $350,000 a year back to Amex, Visa, and MasterCard. So if somebody went on our website and gave $100 with their American Express, we get 97 
you could argue, nobody would expect us to send more than $97 to the field. You said 100%, yeah. So we, re, we repay the three bucks that we didn't even get from their donation, and then we send out the 100 and we track it. Oh, man. So it actually costs us money to raise money. So it's a fascinating, uh, I talk most other social entrepreneurs out of the 100% model. I'm like, this was right for us. It was unique to the problem we were trying to solve. But steer clear. Steer <laughs> Just, clear. I think that the value that I really most believe in is that people want to know where their money's going. So I just tell people, look, just be transparent with their donors. Mm-hmm. Donors, as we've proved, are open to many different value propositions. If I told you right now that the biggest challenge for the organization was a broken copier machine, right? And I needed 1350 bucks to fix it. You would write a $1,350 check. Yeah. Like you want to solve a problem. And you would say, well, what do you need the copy machine for? And I say, well, we need it to produce these documents for our local partners in Ethiopia, whatever it is. So people are open to a lot of value propositions. But I think what's been wrong with charity in the past is it feels like a black hole to so many people. You know, your money goes into this pot. You don't know where it's going. You don't know where it's going. You don't even know if it's been deployed. I mean, people have come up to me, you know, with the horror stories of the, the disaster relief. And, you know, they find out 10 years after the, the hurricane or the tsunami, there's a billion dollars still sitting there. Really? From their 10s and 20s and 50 text donations. So Knowing I think, where your money goes is the most important thing. I help a lot with uh, Pencil Promise. Yep. And, when, you know, when you build a school and you know that all your money went towards that school and you have your name there, and they do a whole video yep. for you. You're like, okay, I know my money is going towards this community and towards these kids and mm-hmm. this family. But I'd argue you'd also be willing to pay for the office rent for a month if you knew where your money was going. Hey, I'm paying for the New York office, and there's a bunch of people working their, their butts off here to yeah. provide education around the world. Absolutely. It's just it's the clarity that I think people really want. Yeah, that's it. You guys do a great job with that. You track it all. We try. You track it all, yeah. We try. Now, I'm curious. you got this... Fancy New York City office. Tons well, can of- I tell you the office story? Cause, sure. Cause, okay, so our first office was an apartment, and it, I was living on the closet floor uh, at 109 Spring. It was, a, it was a loft. My old club partner had taken me back in when I came back from Liberia. And I said, you know, you can use my couch to run your, your cute little charity thing that you <laughs> want to do, and you can sleep on the walk-in closet floor because he had some, somebody else in the bedroom. So that was the first office. And I remember just like, man, first of all, he was doing a lot of drugs. So this was, this was the, you know, if you talk about how not to start a charity, and I write about this in the book, and, you know, people are like, do you really want to tell people that Charity Water started in a drug den? <laughs> I'm like, well, it was true. Sure. <laughs> so we had to get out of there, and we couldn't afford an office. And then finally, I remember like, you know, praying for some sort of miracle. And, and wouldn't you know, Somebody sends me an email and says, there's this space you could sublet. It's a couple blocks from where we were. And it was a greasy printing press. Mm. And we walked in. I remember my feet were sticking on the floors. You know, you kind of like, it would make the sound, like the sticking sound from the grease. So I'm like, it's perfect because it's not the couch. Right. And it's not uh, a place where people are having, you know, late night parties. So we work there. We outgrow that. And then I meet this landlord and he takes me into this beautiful space in Soho. It's completely unfinished. It was maybe 6,000 square feet. And he says, how much do you think you could pay for this space? Mm. And it should have been 25 a month. 25,000 a month. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I said, I think I can pay five grand a month. Wow. And he says, sure. And then he said, well, it's going to cost about hundreds of thousands of dollars to build this space out. You know, do you, do you have a budget? And I said, no. He said, okay, I'll do it for you. Wow. So we wound up at $8 a square foot. 
in New York in, City. In New York City. What's the normal? Oh, 60, 70. Wow. And then he didn't change our rent for five years. We outgrew that space. I since had taken him to Ethiopia. So I'm like, this guy's got to catch the vision, right? Because he's been so generous. What's, what's even amazing, more amazing about it is he didn't get a tax deduction. Right, so he, this was just pure giving wow. um, because the IRS would say, well, how do we know you would have rented the space? Right. right. So he was just discounting it. So I take him to Ethiopia. He has an amazing trip. As we outgrow it, we go back on the market because he said, I got nothing else for you. I'm at 99.9% occupancy. All my other buildings are full. So I go out into like 65 market. Imagine going from eight to like 65 in bad neighborhoods. I mean, not even, and then they were all going to require build out. So this was so far from where we were. Because you um, outgrew the space. We just outgrew the space. Yeah. So we wound up meeting the WeWork guys, and they were going to give me um, you know, a, a pretty good deal doing a build-out in a new WeWork. And right before this happened, I was in Rwanda, and I'm on my BlackBerry. I'm like, before I sign the WeWork deal, uh, I should just check with our landlord one more time. So I email him from the back of a Land Rover in like the Rolindo district of Rwanda, and he writes me back. He said, great timing. An entire floor opened up in my Tribeca building. No way. You can have it. So he gives it to us for less than half market. So now this is 23,000 square feet. And it's going to be a really big build out, like 1.8 million bucks. Mm. You know, we, is this we the were, one I went to and visited? This, is, this, is, um, no, this might be, uh, we've been there a couple years. Okay. So we'll no, I think this is, this is the new one. Yeah. Anyway, so he says, well, I'll tell you what. I know you're not going to want to pay 1.8 million, so why don't I start bringing in the contractors and the plumbers? And you do your thing, you know, show them the photos of your work. Let's see if you can make them cry. Oh my gosh. And we'll see if they'll donate too. So then there's this parade of, you know, plumbers. I mean, these guys have hands that are three sizes the size, you know, right. three times the size <laughs> yeah, yeah. of mine. And I remember this one moment where I've got, you know, a bunch of kind of misty-eyed contractors. And I'm just like selling the dream, you know, look, 100% of the money goes. The way that we built this organization is by generosity from people just like you who can donate your plumbing or donate your contract. The architect gave his entire fee back. Oh my God. Samsung gave us $50,000 of TVs. WeWork gave us furniture from their warehouses. So we wound up getting 1.3 million donated. No way. So you walk into the office now and people immediately say, wow, this is nicer than Facebook's office. I mean, it's gorgeous. And we hand everyone a card that says, here are the 30 vendors that donated to make this space possible. That's cool. You immediately then kind of go to the robber. Where's my money going? Because if yeah. someone walks in, there is, you know, they, they, it's too nice. Yeah. And that actually is another issue I have. There is a poverty it. mentality, I think, mm, with, with nonprofits. With nonprofits right? And I don't think it's helpful. I mean, we are, it is hard enough. We're competing against Facebook and Google and Twitter in Square to hire talent. Right. Like High the, quality talent. Right. And we have no equity. There's no stock to give out. Our comp is, is a lot lower. There's no masseuse at Charity Water. You know, there's no two-star Michelin yeah, yeah. chef, like, <laughs> you know, doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So we at least need an awesome workspace. An environment. Sure. If you're going to be spending all your time. It's so important. You need to have an abundance mentality, so, I'm assuming, too. You need to be thinking, like, we need to be raising a lot more. And I want to feel good when I'm out reaching out to people. I want to feel good when I'm designing something or editing a video. Yeah. I want to feel good about the work, not feel crummy, right? That's right. And, our, and we're doing tours, so people are constantly coming through the office. And that's, that's a reflection of our excellence value. It's all glass. There's not a single, actually the only private space in the office is the maternity room. But everybody can see everything. And it's the, the office is built around our value of transparency. 
So it's anyway. So it is. It is a nice office, but it's it's in a fraction of the cost. That's amazing. Do you and, think you would be able to raise as much money as you've raised being in a different city? No way. New York is so important to us. It's important for two reasons. One, everybody stops by. I mean, people from Singapore are flying through New York. People from Sweden and Denmark, you know, our donors there are flying through New York. The connection to London, to mm-hmm. to the West Coast, to it, it's just this place where everybody's coming through. And being downtown, it's funny. So many people's favorite hotels are the hotels that are right near the so, office. Wow. Yeah, you know, the Greenwich and the Crosby and. So it's been really instrumental. The other thing for us is our work is in 26 countries. So there's no better airport than JFK outside of Europe yeah. to fly. So if we, had, if we were flying out of a regional city, it would add so much extra time and money to our programs team. There, um, we calculated it one year. I think they're flying to the moon and back like three times. And this is the team of um, 18 people who are monitoring Charity Waters partners and auditing. And so New York, is, New York has been really important for us because it's a, it's a long way to go to these yeah, places. I yeah. mean, it's like two days to get to Ethiopia sometimes. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Imagine you were in the Midwest for the last 12 years. How much money do you think you would have raised in Oklahoma City? Well, I don't know. Um, you think you could have still had the impact? I don't know. I don't know. I think it would have been more difficult. I think New York, LA, San Francisco, um, I think some of these, you know, Austin, I think would be yeah. would, would be a good city to 
to raise money. But the great thing about New York is you've got finance, you've got arts, you've got entertainment, and then you have everybody just constantly coming through. So the office is just, it, it, there are, you know, there are 25 visitors a day, it feels like. Just people coming through that have connected. And we have people coming through, Lewis, who give 10 bucks a month. Right. They just turn up. They want to see it. Like, is it real? Yeah, I've been yeah. given 10 bucks a month for, you know, for two and a half years. You let anyone just, come in? Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, uh, we, point we have yet. tours. We actually yeah. have tours. And um, we do a lot of tours for kids where we'll give kids a passport and they go to seven different stations within the That's office. Cool. They pump a well with a sensor. They put on virtual reality headsets. They go to Ethiopia. They watch movies. They answer questions. And at the end, they complete their passport and it unlocks a $30 donation in their name. Oh, that's cool. So the, it, it's really been important for us, I think, to be there. That's powerful. Now you got to come check out the new space. I want to come. I'm, I'm going to be there in a few weeks. So I'm going to hit you up. Yeah. Can you tell the story of how you got into Charity Water in the first place? Yeah. Well, it wasn't the most traditional path. Uh, it was by way of drinking drugs and nightlife. <laughs> so I, I've been a lot raised, of clubbing. A lot of clubbing. I've been raised in a, in a conservative Christian family. Um, in uh, I was born in Philadelphia, raised in New Jersey. Uh, when I was four, my mom becomes an invalid as there was a carbon monoxide gas leak in our house. And unbeknownst to us, we all start getting sick, um, effectively dying from these fumes that we, we couldn't see, couldn't smell. And um, this was before that carbon monoxide detector had been invented. Mm. So, you know, that you couldn't go buy them in blister packs at Home Depot. Right. And my mom on New Year's Day passes out unconscious on her bedroom floor. We, we rush her to the hospital and after a long series of blood tests, find the massive amounts of carbon monoxide. Dad rips the heater out, finds the default himself in the heater, and mom from this point is never the same again. So her immune system is irreparably compromised. Mm. She's allergic to anything chemical at this point. She's wearing masks and connected to oxygen. So childhood was just weird. Dad and I bounced back to normal health. We were only being exposed at night when we were sleeping in the house, and she was exposed 24 hours as she was fixing it up. Wow. So childhood was, you know, church childhood, taking care of mom, and not really feeling sorry for myself, but certainly wanting a more normal life. Sure. And then at 18, dude, I just went berserk, grew my hair down on my shoulders, joined a rock band, moved to New York City. The band eventually and very quickly broke up um, for drugs and just the fact that we hated each other. Right. Uh, and then I became a club promoter for 10 years, and I spent the next decade working at 40 different venues in New York, in New York City. As we call it, we invented models and bottles. This high-end fashion week parties where people would spend 20 bucks on a vodka soda and we'd sell champagne for you know, $800 or $1,000. Um, champagne that costs us 50 bucks to buy. Crazy. And selling the lifestyle, selling the dream. Yeah, the dream, the velvet rope. You know, Your life has meaning if you get past the 500 people waiting outside, if you spend thousands of dollars on booze, you know, if you go home with a pretty guy or the pretty girl. You've arrived. I had picked up every vice that you imagine might come with the territory. So I'd been smoking two packs of cigarettes for 10 years. I had a gambling problem. I had a drinking problem, cocaine, ecstasy, MDMA. I mean, pornography, uh, strip clubs, like everything short of heroin, pretty much. And my life looked so glamorous on the outside because I'd be jumping into black Mercedes with beautiful models mm -hmm. during Fashion Week in Milan or Paris. But I was this rotten human being on the inside. And I had this moment of catharsis at 28 years old. I was in South America on this, the perfect vacation and just realized that 
I was broken. I was emotionally bankrupt. I was spiritually bankrupt. I had come so far. I'd betrayed, you know, any shred of morality from my childhood. And my legacy, if I actually continued down this path, if I didn't die by the time, you know, I was 35 or 40, my legacy would be perhaps one of the most meaningless legacies, you know, on the planet. My tombstone was going to read, here lies, you know, Scott Harrison, the nightclub promoter, who has gotten 10 million people wasted. Mm-hmm. You know, who wants that on their tombstone? No one. I had a real change of heart and, and rediscovered faith uh, in a much different way, I think, as an adult. I became so interested in the idea of virtue and, and purity and service to others. And then wound up selling everything I owned and said, look, what, what would the opposite of my life look like? I actually asked the question, what would the exact 180 degree opposite of my, of my, um, of my life look like? And the only thing I could think was quit everything, sell everything I own, and go serve the poor for a year. Take one year, almost as a tithe or a tenth of the 10 years that you decadently and hedon and you know, selfishly wasted, and go see where that leads me. So I do. I sell everything. I start applying to the famous humanitarian organizations that I've heard of over the years. I probably put in 10 or 15 applications, and then I'm denied by all of them. Like, no one will take me. No, they're like, you know, we're serious humanitarians here. You're some club rat drunk, you know? <laughs> how, would, how would I in any way be useful to them? So I'm turned down by Save the Children and, you know, the, I don't think the Peace, I think the Peace Corps turned me down, bro. Everyone. They want to so, take your free labor, yeah. So finally, one organization writes me back and says, uh, Scott, if you're willing to go live in post-war Liberia and if you're willing to pay us $500 a month, you can volunteer. I'm like, this is great. I mean, what's more opposite than paying to go to the poorest country in the world at the time? Liberia had just come out of a, a 14-year civil war. So I was all in. I gave my credit card details. And weeks later, I sailed in on a giant hospital ship, a 522-foot converted ocean liner that they'd turned into a 42-bed hospital with state-of-the-art operating theaters. And we sailed in with doctors and surgeons to West Africa to help people who had no access to medical care. I thought, nobody believes this, but I actually thought Africa was a country, okay? Not made of like 54. I mean, I just, I was, I couldn't be more ignorant about the developing world. And um, when I saw extreme poverty for the first time in my life, it really broke my heart. I mean, I, I, was, in, I was in a country with no electricity, no running water, no sewage. I was watching children with four pound tumors suffocate to death on their face. Um, I was seeing 60-year-old women who had cleft lips and cleft palates and food and water was spilling out of their mouth because they didn't have access to a $200 surgery. You know, people who were blind with cataracts who needed a $150 simple procedure to give them their sight back. So I spent two years volunteering. And one of the cool things was I was immediately able to redeem the decade in nightlife because I, I took my list with me. So I rolled into West Africa on this humanitarian gig with 15,000 emails of some pretty influential people in New York. Wow. And you know, open rates back then were almost 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So everybody just got your emails. And I turned on a dime and they went from getting emails from me about you know, the Prada store opening in Soho, New York, to pictures of leprosy and pictures of extreme suffering. And I realized that the, the stories and the images actually had the ability to move people to action, to greater compassion and empathy. People would write me back and say, like, I'm sitting here at my desk at Chanel in bright lights. Tears are 
streaming down my face. And I had no idea that this kind of suffering existed. How do I give money? How do I help? So that, that was a two-year journey. And among all of the things that I'd seen, the one thing that just didn't sit right with me, the one thing that wasn't okay on my watch was the fact that people were drinking dirty water. And I learned that 50% of Liberia was drinking from swamps and from ponds and from rivers. And I learned that the health implications of this, that uh, many times our doctors would turn up and there would be more sick people than we could help. And we'd turn thousands away. Imagine like the feeding the 5,000 or something, right? Like we'd, we'd be like, well, we only have a little bit of food, so you guys all have to go. And that was what it felt like. And just constantly turning people away. And I learned that so many of these people were sick because of the water that they had to drink. So I found my issue, came back at 30. The root was The water. root cause of so much sickness, and in fact, 52% of all sickness throughout the developing world is because of bad water and a lack of sanitation. Mm. So water and toilets. Half of the sick people could be made well in all of these countries where people are suffering if they just had the most basic needs. So the problem at the time was 1.1 billion. People didn't have clean water. One out of six, Lewis. Wow. One out of, I found some of our early artwork, and you know, we would have six humans, and one of them, you know, we would fill up with dirty water, and the other five figures would have clean water. It was such a staggering problem, but I'm like, I'm gonna solve this in my lifetime. Like, I'm gonna come back and work to make sure that a billion people get access to clean water and that we see a day on earth when, when everyone has clean water. I think the, the contrast for me around water was so stark because vividly remember in our clubs, we would sell Voss water. You know, those tall bottles of water. <laughs> for like 12 bucks. Yeah, 10, 15 bucks. And people would come into the club and they would order bottles and not even open them. But they'd order $250 of Pour water. It would something. just sit there. They'd drink champagne or vodka. So the fact that, you know, <laughs> like we live in a $12 bottle world and a billion humans, mm -hmm. simply because of where they're born, are drinking from swamps and risking their lives, and children are dying of diarrhea. But like, you know, our kids get Pedialyte, you know, the Dwayne Reed. It's just so far into that the children would be dying of diarrhea in their mother's arms. So when I saw this, I just wanted to do something about it. So that was kind of the big idea. The mission was gonna be clean water for everyone in my lifetime. Wow, a billion people. Billion at the time. What's it at now? 663. 663 million people yep. don't have clean water. Yeah, one in 10. So we've made a lot of progress. You're getting there. Not just me, you know, I mean, gosh, there's so many people. You're getting there. There's a lot of So many people are, are working on this, and, and uh, there's actually been more awareness. 12 years ago when I started, people would look at me like I had 17 heads when I would tell them about the water crisis, right? America's always had 100% water coverage for as long as they can remember. Yeah. And I think this issue has become more important to people, you know, and you have issues like Flint, Michigan, and it's a little more top of mind now. Oh, wow, maybe everyone's water isn't clean all the time. Maybe this isn't something that we should just take for granted. So a lot of, a lot of progress has been made, but still, bro, one in 10, it's a lot. too many. But it's been how many years now? 12 years? 12 years. 300 million, is that right? 400 million almost? Yeah, like 500. 500 million, yeah, so. 1, .1 to. 6 point, 600 something. Yeah, 400, yeah. right. Wow. I mean, how a billion people was the original vision, right? Is that it's just everybody. Like, just right, make everyone. sure that no one on earth is drinking dirty water. It was a billion, 1.1 yeah. billion people. Mm -hmm. What did you say to people when you said, I want to impact 1.1 billion people's lives? 
Well, you got to start somewhere. <laughs> so we started with with our first, you know, your first well, really. You f- you started let's with your first well. water project. Let's do one well. Start um, small. That's right. And, and I how much does a well cost to um, fund or ten build? grand? Ten grand to fully develop a yeah, well, build a well, in put a community. it in. And now it's uh, it's thirteen different technologies. So now it's wells and springs and rainwater systems and gravity fed systems and solar systems and. Um, wells are still a big part of what we do in drilling wells. When there is groundwater, it's an amazing solution. But yeah, it started with a party and we're like, let's do one. I actually threw a party in a nightclub for my birthday. That was day one of Charity Water, my 31st birthday. I got 700 people to come out because I lured them with open bar. And then I said, <laughs> on your way in though, you have to donate $20 in this. Th- I remember there was a plexi bucket there. And uh, you know, people would just walk in, drop 20 bucks in. And we raised the $15,000 and we took it to Uganda and then we sent you know, the photo and the GPS of where that money had gone to all the people that came to the party and said, you did this. People are drinking clean water in a refugee camp in Uganda because you came to a party and gave 20 bucks and here's where 100% of that money went. Wow. And we had this proof of concept within hours. The email's coming back. This is amazing. I never expected to hear from a charity. Charities normally take money and just ask for more money. You know, how can we do this again? How do we do more? And, you know, 12 years later, it's now 29,000 water projects. So the one is now 29,000, you know, for eight and a half million people from that first village. Wow. And you know, it's funny, I just got to go see the first well recently. That you know, in Uganda. Yeah, for my birthday. I saw my 31st birthday. I'm 40, I just turned 43 uh, on, on Friday. So it's 12 years old. It was still pumping water. So over a decade later, people were still dude, it was ugly. Or? I mean, it was all banged up. It was, you know, it was gnarly. Like the metal was a little sure. sheared. And, are people um, using it still? They or? are. And what's cool is the refugee camp that had 31,638 people at the time is now down to about five, 600 people. And they're still using that well. Amazing. So they've been resettled, but there's still a group there around it. And we, our water program uh, guy that was with me said, you know, we think that well has been pumped 50 million times. Holy that handle has been up and down. So that was really cool. That was a, a really special moment. Um, I, I read about that in the book, just, just being able to go back and, and, and see it. And you talk about in the book, your first kind of section is about getting pure. Because you said you wanted yeah. to become pure, purified of everything that you've done for the last 10 years in your life. What does that mean to be pure, though? And I love how it's like pure water, pure life, but yeah, what mean? I'm pretty extreme. So I had to just quit it. I had to never smoke again and never yeah. touch Coke or any of that again and, and um, you know, never gamble again. Like, I had to have the off switch for all of that. There was something, it's funny, I remember going out with a bang. Like, before I got on <laughs> the ship and before I surrendered my passport and became a part of the mission, mm-hmm. the night before, I had, like, eight beers, smoked three packs of cigarettes. <laughs> I knew that I had to walk away from it. And there was something almost, you know, prophetic or symbolic about walking up a gangway of a ship, right? Imagining the gangway being pulled up and then sailing away to my new life and leaving all of the crap, all the detritus, like, on the shore, um, so that city. was it. No, this was in, um, I, I actually met the ship in, in Tenerife, which was an island off the coast of Africa, and then sailed into wow. West Africa. But it's so, something about a ceremony like that that allows you to leave one part of your life yeah. behind and move forward. And there were times, believe me, where you know it was easy to slip back into some of those bad habits. And I always felt like there would be grace and there would be forgiveness. 
but why mess it up? Why stop the role, right? The new story of my life was so much more joyful. I mean, I was, I was a slave to myself. I was, I was a slave to the pursuit of money, the pursuit of girls, the pursuit of status. And, and I just realized this is a never-ending pursuit of more that ends, that, you know, it doesn't end way. well. It ends in a bad way because someone always has a better car. Someone always has a better watch. You know, someone always has more money or the plane or, you know, it, it is, it truly never ends. Comparison game is a, is a bad game to play. So now the work is, you know, is in how do we help as many people as possible. That's also a never ending work. 1.1 billion people is a lot of people. It's a lot of people. And, and I think my favorite quote these days, you know, that I've been ending some of my talks on stage with is, is um, I found it from like an old rabbinic text and someone had sent me a picture of this passing a, a deli in New York. And it says, do not be afraid of work that has no end. Hmm. Don't be afraid of work that has no end. And I, in the context of our work, our work is to end the needless suffering of people right now with, with water. It's to serve people. It's to, to build a, a, a movement of generosity and compassion and love and giving, right? That never ends. When we solve the water crisis, when we actually see a day when no human is drinking dirty water, we're not just going to drop our mic and go become millionaires, right? We're going to then take our community, which might be 100 million people at that time. We're going to take everything we've learned and focus on another issue. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the fact that nobody should go to bed hungry. Maybe it's the fact that nobody should go to bed without shelter, you know, without a roof. Maybe it's, it's education, the fact that everybody should have access to an education. So it's really a never-ending pursuit. But if the pursuit is not in selfishness, if the pursuit is, is a pursuit of the, the benefit of others, it feels different. You can find a real joy and a release in that. What's the biggest lesson you've learned in the last 12 years giving your life to service and, and being on this mission to end suffering with, with the water crisis? Um, it's been, a lot of people feel like a, it's a big sacrifice. Bro, I know you got offered that big job at Facebook. Like, you know, do you ever think you should have taken it? Like, you know, bro, you're driving a Kia Sorento, you know, like you can't pay for piano lessons for your kid. You know, like there's this, there's this empathy that a lot of people will have because I haven't tried to get rich, right? I haven't gone after the money and, and they feel like, you know, sometimes like I've made this great sacrifice and I'm like, I haven't made the sacrifice at all. Like, think about it. The, today, um, we will raise enough money to get 3,800 humans clean water for the first time. Just in one day. Today. And then we'll do it again tomorrow. And then we'll do it again the next day. So we're filling, you know, stadiums about every four to five days. So from Monday to Friday, you know, Madison Square Garden, we've just filled with people that are getting clean water for the first time and then emptied it out. And Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we just did it again. That's an amazing thing to be able to do. Yeah. One person every 15 seconds, you know, as we sit here, because not because of me, because of the community, because of a million people around the world that have joined Charity Water, that have rejected the apathy that would be so easy to embrace with a paralyzing global issue like this and said, I can do something. I can donate my birthday. I can give 30 bucks a month. I can build one well. You know, our family can give up holiday gifts. I mean, we have kids doing lemonade stands like all over the country. I love the lemonade stands. There was a little girl in Vancouver, Lewis, who did 12, she, she came across one of our videos online, was so offended by the fact that people are drinking dirty water. The kids don't have clean water to drink. So she does 12 lemonade stands 
one of them in the rain, just undeterred. At her last lemonade stand, she convinces a local band to perform on the sidewalk next to the lemonade stand. To attract an audience. To attract an audience. She sells $5,600 of lemonade. Wow. Builds half a well. So these stories keep us going. There was a little girl named Nora who was six, again, saw one of our videos and goes up to her room that night and she's, she, um, she says, you know, should I give or should I not give? Should I keep my allowance? Should I give my allowance, right? And this, like, this internal bait, she comes out in the morning and she drops $8.15 on the kitchen counter and draws a picture of herself next to a well in Africa with clean water coming out. Wow. And writes us a note and says, Dear Charity Water, here's, my name is Nora. Here's my $8.15, and I don't want kids to die of dirty water. So, you know, this arrives in the mail, and we were so inspired. We actually sent a camera crew down, interviewed this astonishing little girl. And uh, on World Water Day, we, we asked everyone we knew to give $8.15 and raise like 80 grand, wow. you know, in her honor um, to build eight wells. So these... You know, it's an amazing thing to be able to do. Did she go to Africa? And she hasn't yet, but but we we should totally take her when she gets a little older to see where that goes. And, you know, I guess the way that I would love for billions and billions of dollars to flow through, you know, my hands, our hands. I mean, the the way of keeping score is money for others, not money for ourselves. My greatest ambition really about money um, is to actually write a million dollar check personally to a charity someday. Because someone did it for me at a really, really important time, and it changed the game for us. It was way too much money, right? It's Normally what happens with charities is there's an amount that people are giving, right? Like this is a charity that people give 10 grand to, right. or this is a charity that people give $100 to. Well, this person came in when we were a charity that gave, people gave 10 grand to, and they gave us a million dollars. What was the biggest uh, on the overhead before side. that? Maybe 50, maybe yeah, or something. Yeah, something like that. They gave a million. And on the, a million it's on the overhead side. It's almost too overwhelming. Well, like- it was a year. It was a year of capital. I, t- I tell the story in the book, so I won't ruin the, the drama, but um, it, was, it was at a moment of desperation, and this, was, this saved the organization from um, insolvency. You needed, you needed the payment in the next couple of weeks, probably. We were, running, we, were not, we were unable to pay our staff, but we had $881,000 in the bank we couldn't touch. <laughs> and we were unwilling to compromise by either borrowing against it or borrowing one penny. So I was going to shut the organization down and say Charity Water didn't work. Oh, man. This is $320 million ago. But this is $318 million ago. Wow. I mean, this is, this the, is year one, year two? This is a year and a half in. We had raised a couple million dollars for water projects. Couldn't keep the lights on on the overhead account. Just couldn't tell our story. And I, um, I'd, been, I'd been praying, if I'm honest, with very little faith, with no faith that anything would happen for a miracle. I'd been like, God, I need a miracle. Like, you know, would the sky part? Something needs to happen here. And a complete stranger walked in off the street, um, sat with me for two hours and said, cool, I'll give a million dollars into the overhead account. Crazy. You're like, there's the miracle. Wow. So, so I want to do that for somebody at some point. So the, you know, the ambition is not a house in the Hamptons or you know, to drive a Mercedes or anything like that, but I'd love to be able to actually give more generously um, I, I, but you're not you know, making a big enough salary to do that yet, because you make a a charity salary, right? Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, like, and, and we're benchmarked, and yeah, um, I mean, you know, for years the board has always tried to pay me more because the the benchmark in New York is higher than I've yeah. taken, and I'm like, yeah, but I'm just going to give more away. <laughs> so anyway, at some point it'd be fun to maybe it's a side hustle. Yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. The the charity side hustle. You talked about story. You weren't telling your story that well. How to, how important is it for 
any business owner or charity to be able to tell a story really well? And what is the, the key principle of telling a great story? Yeah, that's a great question. I would say the one, if, if I had to pick one factor for our success, um, it would surprise people. A lot of people think it would be brand and design. Others would, would think it's the 100% model or transparency mm-hmm. or proof or technology or all this stuff. It's storytelling. We are a culture of, we, we built a culture of storytellers. And people don't respond to facts and statistics. If you know somebody watching or listening to this thinks of the number 663 million humans, it's just like a numbing nothing number, right? We can't imagine 663 million units of anything, mm-hmm. let alone people without clean water. But if I tell a story of a 13-year-old girl who was walking eight hours every day with a clay pot of water on her back, and one day she slips and falls and she breaks her pot and she spills her water, and instead of going back for more water, she hangs herself from a tree. Oh. And the village elders find a 13-year-old girl's body swinging from a fragile tree, right? That is a different resonance, right? And that's, sorry, Letikiros was one of the 663 people. Or if I talk about all the statistics of the benefits of water and 52% of disease and water makes people healthier and wealthier and $1 invested in water and sanitation yields 4 to $8. I could throw more data around water than, than people could even handle. But if I tell a story of a woman named Helen Apio in northern Uganda who for the first time in her life gets clean water close to her house and doesn't have to walk hours anymore, and tells us that for the first time in her life, she feels beautiful because hmm. she has enough water to wash her face and her clothes and her body and keep clean. We learn after talking to her that she'd been making sacrifices and putting her children and her husband first. So all the water she would walk and collect, she would use for them because she thought it was more important to keep her kids clean and her hmm. husband clean and their clothes clean. So she sacrificed her own sense of beauty and wellness. Wow. We're a culture of, of just, we love telling stories. One of, one, of, um, one of my favorites is, one of the things that we also do is, is we tell unlikely stories. So for me, the stories have to always speak to the values. What are the values that you're trying to, um, to convey or to personify or to put out in the world? So I'll give you an example. We crowdfunded a drilling rig for a million dollars six years ago. And about 10,000 people gave 100 bucks on average. Mm-hmm. And we called it Yellow Thunder. We painted the thing Charity Water Yellow. We put a GPS tracker on this rig and we gave it a Twitter account. And it started driving around Ethiopia, just drawing lines on a map. Right. Four years later, I learned that our rig crashed. Oh, man. Okay. And it's, it's wheels up somewhere. You know, just imagine. I mean, this is a huge, huge, sure. you know, machine. The wheels are up in the air. And our, our partner had crashed the rig, and it was going to take them about a month to just fix it and then put it back in operation. So it wasn't totaled. But, you know, they were kind of sheepish. So the, the word gets to me through the grapevine. It's one of those things where, you know, you crash your dad's car. You yeah. fix it first, and then you tell him you crashed the car. You're like, by the way, Dad, I crashed it, but I used my money, yeah. and I did the right thing, and, right? And then it's okay. But you don't tell him when the car's crashed. Wow. So anyway, I hear about this, and I'm like, story, story, story. I try and send a camera crew mm. to capture photos and videos of the crashed rig, and I am going to send the pictures and the video back to the 10,000 people that funded it and said, we crashed your rig. That was going to be the headline. We crashed your rig. 
And I knew and deeply believed that, that this would be one of the best pieces of communication to them. And if I peel back the layer a little bit, what actually happened was our partner was trying to reach some of the most remote villages, mm-hmm. okay? They were on roads they That's shouldn't why, have yeah. been. But the story of that would speak to the value of tenacity in our partners. Our local partners are not drilling wells by the highways, okay? They're not just rowing on the paved roads. They're trying to reach the most marginalized people. They're taking risks. And you know what? They miscalculated that road, Mm. right? And we've all been in accidents, right? We've all screwed up. Yeah. So I think that just speaks to the, the vulnerability of the, the human condition. Anyway, they had fixed it by the time you know, we made it happen. So I never got to send the email. But um, <laughs> sharing failures is something, I talk a lot about this in the book. I mean, there are, there are stories of guns and lawsuits and failed drilling. There was a time once where we raised money very publicly for a well, and we just kept drilling dry holes. And we broadcast the, the story via satellite to all the people and say, like, we blew your money. Like, we didn't get a result here. We left this community no better wow. than we found it. Because it was true. It was just true. It wasn't good news. Nobody wants to hear. How you do you know, spin hey, a story that's not good news? Well, you don't spin it. You just tell the story and say, we'll be back. We're going to keep trying. If somebody was building a school and ran into local pressures, you, would just, you wouldn't want them to lie to you. You would want to say, here's it, it's delayed, or you know, we, we went over budget, or we had a problem. So I think we've told hundreds and hundreds of stories over the last 12 years, and, and that's one of the things that I think, you know, what is a good story? story has to take you there. You have to feel it. You have to, um, you have to visualize you know, the emotions of, of the moment. Yeah. What would it be like to be the, the head well driller looking at your crashed rig? Is it shame? Is it terror? Is it, oh my gosh, I'm in trouble? You know, all that stuff would just make that, that moment really rich. Sure. Wow. Um, Are you arguing with the guy in the cabs? Like, I told you this road was not big enough for this rig. And the other guys, no, but we have to get to this village because have you seen the water that they're drinking? Yeah. So tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. You've had incredible success over the last decade plus two years. What's been the biggest challenge once you kind of hit critical mass and it started building this momentum and getting all this attention and Will Smith's doing videos and celebrities and billionaires, everyone's getting involved. What's been the biggest challenge since you kind of hit that growth spurt? Yeah. Which is probably around like year four, five, six. It really started to kind of grow. Yeah, I write about this in the book, but I burned out. I burned out in year nine. Three years um, ago. Three years ago. Burned yeah. out, just like I was doing done. the same thing. I was going to give the keys to somebody else. Yeah, how do you, how do you say But what was funny, Lewis, is that everybody was saying, they started warning, warning me of burnout in year three. They're like, nobody can work 80-hour weeks. And, and at the beginning, you know, I was single. We were all, it was a startup. You're fighting for You're your life. In. I'm yeah. not advocating 80-hour weeks. I mean, I probably work 50, you know, now. And, you know, I've got young kids and... It's a very, very different flow. But in the beginning, it was all seven days a week. You're working all the time. Yeah. You're birthing this thing. You know, you're, you're fighting for oxygen. I was, I was just, I was flying around like a maniac. I mean, Speaking, I 96 flights in coach. You know, another thing, coach, we've, yeah. dude, we've never bought a business class ticket in 12 years for myself or any other executive. 
We have never bought used donor money. Now, um, the and you could wants argue, to fly you out in your speech. Oh, if Google's, if Google's flying me to London to speak, absolutely. I have, <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. And I'll take the free upgrades from, uh, yeah. from Delta. But a lot of it was just really brutal. I mean, doing 14-hour flights to Ethiopia and then internal flights. And so I was, I was going really hard. People started to worry about me. And I'm like, still here. Year five, year six, haven't burned out. Year seven, haven't burned out. And what happened is we had eight years of consecutive growth. So the line was just up and to the right. So it's exciting. Yeah, like two, six, nine, 16, 23, 28, 33, 35, 45. Like it was just, we were just, it was growth like crazy. And what was, what was cool was at this time of growth, charitable giving was net negative. So giving in America was actually declining. We started, I remember there was a three-year period where we were up 490% and giving was net negative 8%, net negative 8 so we're like, we're crushing it, right? Yeah. The value of the 100% model is working. Transparency is working. Charity in a digital age. I mean, we, you know, we were the first charity to get a million Twitter followers and the first mm. charity to use Instagram. And like, it felt really good. We were getting people clean water. We had a year where we got 1 million people clean water wow. in a single year. And it just felt awesome. Our ninth year, we have our first down year. By how and much? 20, 25%. So you were at... What? We went 45 to 36. 36 million in donations. And what happened was Ooh. in our $45 million year, there were two huge gifts, one for $5 million from a company and one for $3 million on the water side. For stock market and business reasons, both of them paused the second year. Interestingly, both of them have been back for millions since. But we had a year where it was like, okay, we're just going to, you know, our stock, our company, the one donor stock was down 40% or so and just said, we love you. We're going to pause. So we couldn't replace those. That 8 million. That 8 million. Yeah. And that we basically ended there down eight and a half or so. So I am like, I have failed. We gave 800,000 people clean water that year. So imagine going from. A million eight hundred. All you know is growth. And growth is not money for me. It's not the bigger house. It's not the nice, you know, third car or the vacation. Growth means human beings are not dying, right? So growth is always good when there are other people on the line. So I actually felt like I'd let down 200,000 people personally as the leader. I go into, I start calling my board and <laughs> said, it's time for a CEO, time for a professional CEO. I'll stay with the organization. I'll fundraise. I'll speak. But, you know, let's, let's find a real leader right? Who can take this to the next level. And it's funny because I tried to do this in Q4. I mean, I talk about some of this stuff, so many unwise things I've done over the years, but <laughs> I try and do this in Q4 um, of the down year. I'm like, okay. So I saw the writing on the wall. There was nothing we could do to save this. And my team's like, bro, you're not starting a CEO search in like November in the right. fundraising season. Why don't you take a month off? You've had no sabbatical or anything like that. Take January off. Go with your family out to, well, out to California and see how you feel about everything. And just pause. And if you come back, then we'll, we'll go through a process. Mm-hmm. So I take the month off. Donor gives us this house on Shasta Lake outside of Redding. And it's this beautiful house up on a cliff. It's like a retreat center, maybe eight bedrooms. And you're looking down at this extraordinary lake and mountains and pine trees. So I go out with my wife and my, he would have been almost two at the time, son, my first son. And we roll in to the beginning of January. And it's, it's, not, it's not raining, Lewis. 
It's hailing. <laughs> like ice balls. Just so yeah. that, that month for my sabbatical at the house on the cliff gets more rain than I think oh, 25 man. years in this area in California. The house starts leaking. Oh, so we're no. in this gorgeous house. We got like buckets everywhere. Oh, man. It's hailing all of the, you know, the pool is just all, all the, um, the uh, what, like the umbrellas are just down, getting blown off the mountain. It was like a symbol of my life. We find out we're pregnant with our second on day two. My wife goes into full grumpy mode because at least we are going to be drinking good wine in this cabin, right? If we have to like winter, you know. <laughs> so she's like, well, now I can't drink for a month. And the two-year-old is running around breaking stuff in the house. So it's like this awful. <laughs> You're supposed to be relaxed, enjoy it. And, and I had a lot of time to think, you know, I was going to church, I was praying, I was trying to kind of meditate on, you know, what would be next. You're calling Rob Bell and, for advice. You know, yeah. I, I was, I, I instantly, I called my dad and, you know, we were talking about business. He'd just been a, a middle-class business guy for 30 years, worked at the same company for 25 or so. And he's like, Scott, not everything goes up and to the right. Like, you know, if, I hate to break this to you, but not all growth curves are up and to the right forever. And... He said, did you compromise your values in any way last year? I'm like, no. So did you do anything you weren't proud of? I'm like, no. I said, well, Dad, actually, outside of the revenue, in, in so many ways, it was the very best year. We innovated in sustainability, and we put sensors on our wells, and we had the best employee retention, just it, on all of these other metrics. It was great, except the top-line fundraising and the people with water. Long story short, I basically said, it's year 10. I can't quit in year 10. Right, I got to come and finish out the decade. Mm. And rather than whining about it, why don't I actually try and solve the problem? Mm. What's the problem? The freaking problem is the charity water starts over at zero every January 1. So great, we raised $45 million, but the ticker starts at zero. You got to go re-climb the $45 million hill and then grow, which we didn't do. And you know, I started looking at some of the other business models. Spotify doesn't start at zero on January 1. So I called Daniel Eck and was like, hey, can you help me think through a subscription model? Netflix doesn't start at zero, right? Dropbox doesn't start at zero. HBO doesn't start at zero. New York Times, you know, magazine doesn't start at zero. So um, I just said, well, what if we could create a subscription program for pure good where we get a bunch of people to commit not just to the one-time gift, not to the one-time birthday. I mean, you're a perfect example. You did one very successful birthday campaign, right? And you've done them for other causes, but I have to keep finding new Lewises. Right. Right? And then I have to find like Lewis and a half yeah. next year. Because it's, right. so we saw the birthday campaigns and the fundraising campaigns raised over $50 million, but nobody repeated. It was like I ticked that box. Mm -hmm. So I would have much rather had you give 30 bucks like from the time I met you, right? 10 years and, ago. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we came back and I concepted this program called The Spring. And I like the name. It, it's the double entendre between clean water and just the sense of, of new birth. And um, spring's just a time that makes people smile. And I said, let's make a 10-year anniversary video. Let's kind of run the greatest hits of the 10 years, say, here's what we've been able to do, the first quarter of a million, the first six and a half million people with clean water. And here's our vision for the future. And our vision for the future, we need more than drive-by philanthropy. We need more than your one-time gift. We really need to sign you up for a commitment to see the end of the water crisis. So wow. you'll appreciate this. I come to my team, I'm like, okay, I have an idea. We're going to do a 20-minute internet video. Yeah. People are like, 
Dude, no one's gonna watch more than two minutes. You know, have you seen the, the data? People's attention spans are less than bumblebees, you know, or insects at this point. So I'm like, well, we can't tell our story in three minutes. We can't take anyone on any emotional journey. I think my first bid was 30 minute video. Sure. So I wind up um, for the first time ever, and Charity Water's made over a thousand videos in house. I wind up hiring Jason Russell from Invisible Children yeah. um, and his wife to kind of consult on how would we tell the 10 year story? A movie. Yeah, like, like a, a cinematic, you know, a short film. And we wind up making this thing, it's 19 or 20 minutes. We put it out on the internet, and wouldn't you know, I think 17% of people that watch the whole thing joined the spring mm. and became subscribers. It's pretty big. And it starts spreading, and we, we hit our goal. I think we wanted 1,000 members like within a few weeks. We get there. The thing starts growing. And 30 bucks a month, and, right? Well, it's an average. So $30 gives one person clean water. You can but give we had, one. Yeah, we have people giving 100 a month. We have people giving 300 a month. We have college kids giving 10 bucks a month. We have kids giving the 10 of their allowance to their parents. Wow. So, so it's kind of anchored around if people can give $30 a month with that, every month we can give someone clean water. So this thing starts to take off. The video uh, now has 10 million views. Wow. So I'm like, okay, guys, you know, wow, it's, good, as, it's as long yeah. as it needs to be, yeah, right? If yeah. the content is good. And now, you know, we were just talking about this before we started, but now we've got 30,000 members in 100 countries giving actually an average of $30 a month. So 30,000 know, paid members. Yeah, and, and now, um, Huge. you know, it's, it's, it's coming up on a million dollars a month now. So we're not starting. So it's still, you know, it's still a, a small part of the whole. It's twelve but, million. That's a fourth, or right, a fourth. Yeah, of I mean, it's 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 for the water budget. Yeah, so it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. And so and we have pensioners. Stress. Like people are writing me these amazing stories. We have people in their nineties giving their pension. We have people canceling HBO, canceling other subscriptions, saying, you know what, I'd rather have people get clean water. You know, or I'll I'll take ad based content instead of instead of the ad-free content and give that difference. So it's been amazing to see what the spring is doing. And then what, what we've been doing is promising that 100% of those donations go to the field. We pay back the credit card fees. And then we've been sending stories of impact. We've been doing unique video content mm. and locked video series just for those spring members. So they can see where their money's going. They can see the people around the world that are, are being impacted. Wow. I'm super bullish on, on the amazing. spring. and. You know, what if we could get a million people Huge. giving every single month? We'd be giving, if, if a million people around the world were giving 30 bucks a month, we'd be getting a million people clean water a month instead of, you know, a million and a half a year. Wow. So that's really the, the vision, I think. The goal. So that led to uh, 40% growth last year. Wow. So imagine going to the down year, right? That next year, we rebounded, built the spring. That was, year, a, right? that was a, the 11th year was like 12% growth as we, we only got Q4 of the spring because we launched it in September. Last year, it was 40% growth. This year's up 40% again. Holy cow. So I Googled S-curves once on the internet. And like, this is what happens to a lot of businesses. What takes you there, you have to re-innovate, right? And then that can get you to the next level. So we just realized what got us... What worked for the first 10 years, the birthdays, the fundraising campaigns, it had also become commoditized. 
I mean, every other charity bro is asking for the birthday now. Yeah, yeah. You know, Heifer International wrote me an email asking whether I, Scott Harrison, would donate my birthday to Heifer. I'm like, I invented that 11 <laughs> years ago. Like, you know, would I give my age in dollars or something? Yeah. So that actually felt great for the, the birthday idea that I think we'd shown could be really successful to spread to the pencils of the world and the world visions and, you know, the Save the Children's and the Oxfam's. Like, everybody's doing that now. Facebook is now taking this. Yeah across the entire platform. And it's raising um, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Crazy. For a lot of great causes. What took you here won't get you there. Yeah, you so you won't hear me talk about birthdays now. So I'm, you know, even in the book, you know. It's a good way of starting out. It's a good way of starting out. And some people will still, will still actually come across that and they'll do it. But then when they end their birthday, we want them to join the spring mm-hmm. so that we can build that long-term relationship with them. Where can people go to join the spring? Um, charitywater.org slash spring. You can make any donation you want there. Ten bucks a month up to up to anything. Up to anything. There you go. Yeah, we we started at ten just because of the fees and we want it to be enough for percentage. Charitywater.org slash spring. Go uh, sign up. I'm signing up today. So awesome. I'm a member as well. Yeah. My wife's a member. <laughs> we'll all be members. Go join it today. This is powerful, man. Make make sure you guys go get the book as well. It's called Thirst. This is uh, 100% donated to Charity Water as well, I believe, yep. right? All yep. the advance. I'm, I'm, I'm not making a penny. Gave it all away. All the royalties, the advance of this book. So go get a copy. You're going to learn some powerful stories about Charity Water, about Scott's life, and about really how you can take your vision to a whole other level and make a bigger impact in the world. Uh, so make sure you guys take, take a look at this book. Get a copy for a friend as well. Give it away as a gift. And uh, again, you're just giving back to helping people with clean water. Go to the spring, charitywater.org slash spring. Make sure you give a donation monthly. It's going to be a, a powerful donation that you're going to feel really good about. Thanks, man. Um, you got to come with me. I want to come, man. I, I want to take you to Ethiopia. Let me know. Send me the, the next Put me trip. on the email list, That's man. the next trip. Get me on the list. It's the next trip. I want to come. I went to Ghana. I want you to see it. I think you actually have some birthday wells in Ethiopia. It'd be cool to get you to see I'm it in, man. five years later. So. I'd love to, man. I'm in. A couple questions left for you. One is called the three truths. Okay. So imagine it's your last day on earth many years from now and Mm -hmm. you get to choose the day. Okay. You've done everything you want. You've ended the water uh, crisis. Everyone has clean water. You've supported other charities. You've given a million dollars to another charity. You've done it all. Okay. You've seen your kids do whatever they want to do. Live the life. This sounds amazing. It's amazing, right? You live the life. Just speak it. I'll receive that, Lewis. I I see it. I already (laughs) see it happening. And it's the last day. But for whatever reason, your book and all of your work, you've got to bring with you. You've got to take it with you so it's not available for anyone else. All the things you've said, speeches, they've got to go with you. But you get to write down three things you know to be true about your life, the three lessons that you've learned that this would be the only thing people could really have access to are these three truths or your lessons. And all of our minds are racing during your long... (laughs) What would you say are your three truths? My three truths... Faith has been a really important part in my life personally. Uh, and the, you know, the organization is not a religious organization, never has been. But for me, a huge part of my new story has been coming back to, to faith, to a life of prayer and, um, and virtue and, and believing that you know, the greatest way I can serve God is by serving others. So I would say for me, it was back to a, a Christian model, which led to a life of service um, and really that other than myself. So faith was a big part for me and just encouraging people to explore that. I mean, I just rejected it and I was the God of my life and it just didn't work. Wow. Um, I think second, I would say, 
I think so much more important than what anyone does is how they do it. So I think doing things with integrity, doing things with honor, being willing to make the hard decisions that allow you to sleep well at night, I would really hope to teach you know, my kids that. There were so many opportunities we had to, to cut corners, to take the easy way out. And you know, I, I mean, I write about some of these in the book, and I'm, I'm really glad we didn't. I think the thing of all the values, I think I put integrity above all else as a value. So I would say, you know, a life of faith, a life of integrity. And then just to find the radical bleeding edge of giving. You know, I believe the more you give, the more you give. And I want people to get caught up in the idea of giving their time, giving their talent, giving their money, and just more, wanting to do more. And giving because it's a blessing and it's a joy, not out of shame or debt or obligation. You know, I hate the language giving back. Giving back, it's like I take something from you and you're like, give it back. You know, why don't we just frame it in the positive? You know, uh, not giving because we've finally done so well, we've, you know, pillaged and plundered to such degree, it's finally time to throw some scraps to the poor. But giving out of abundance, giving out of our privilege, I mean, we didn't choose to be born, you know, into a world where, you know, you and I have never had dirty water, right? right? I traveled to Africa, I can afford to, to buy a water filter. You know, I can afford to bring it. So how do we... How do we give using our influence, using our privilege, using our gifts to end the needless suffering around the world? And then how do we teach that to those around it? How do we instill that culture in our companies, in our families, um, so that the the giving becomes contagious? Mm. So I would say faith, integrity, and then radical generosity, radical giving. That's powerful. I want to acknowledge you for a moment, Scott, for your ability to recognize that a life of ego and service to only one human being was not the life to live, and to actually reflect, go on a journey, and create something that is impacting millions of people, and hundreds of millions of people now, and hopefully a billion point one very soon. So I acknowledge you for your consistency. You know, 12 years in this is not easy. Two years is not easy. And the, the fact that you're continually re-inspired, at least still uh, after 12 years, is really inspiring for me to see because people can get burned out very easily after a couple of years of working hard. So your, your foundation, your, uh, your sense of gratitude, your sense of family and faith, I think is really powerful to see because I know that's what's supporting you and continuing everything. So I acknowledge you for everything, man. Thanks, friend. Yeah, this is awesome. Make sure you guys get the book. Sign up for the spring as well. And the final question is, what's your definition of greatness? A life lived in the service of others. Yeah, it's a good one. My man, appreciate you very much. Thanks, man. Thanks, brother. There you have it, my friends. 700 episodes. Oh, my goodness. I am so grateful, so humbled, and so appreciative of all of you listening right now and your support over the last almost six years, but 700 episodes. It's amazing what you can create in your life, in your business, in your career, when you do something consistently every single week and you work to improve it every single week as well. And again, I wanna thank you guys for all that you do to help me 
get this message out to more people without you listening, without you texting a few of your friends every time you listen or posting it on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram, this community would not be as large and expansive as it is. We would not be changing the world together. And I love seeing the messages over on Instagram or on email of people telling me something specific about an individual episode that has transformed their life. So if there has been a moment that you've heard a podcast that it has transformed your life, brought you healing, brought you peace, brought you freedom, brought you wealth, brought you relationship, gotten you in better health, then please let me know. You can send me a direct message. You can email us anytime over on the contact page at lewishouse.com. We love to hear from you as we always appreciate you for listening. Again, a big thank you to our sponsors and a big thank you to you. As Edmund Mbiaka said, no matter how disappointing you believe your life currently is, it is never too late to start reshaping it to become an amazing testimony. Right now, ask yourself, am I living a purposeful life? Am I doing something in my life, in my career, that brings me joy and helps those around me? Ask yourself the question, what could you be doing more of that would make yourself proud looking back at your life that I did something more meaningful with my life? It doesn't mean you have to change everything right now, but what's one little change you could do that would make a bigger change to the people around you? Think about that. Let me know. As always, I love you so very much. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. time inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.